Okay. <laughs> David Gerald wrote this one. Really got to put that in quote-unquotes because, well, the original story treaties was for a new crew member named Bem who was uh, able to detach certain parts of his body. You know, he had this whole thing where he would go on the mission and he would play practical jokes and he ended up practical joking Spock, but then St Spock joked him in return and it all worked out at the end. Uh, that was torpedoed. This was for the TOS stuff, by the way. So then he was like, okay, well, I, I can rework that. So he started working on his second treatise. This is a little bit different, a little more focused on this being a big test of, you know, how the, their humanity and how decent they would be. They would find these savages, savages, barely even human, and they would have to try to help them. And they gave them tools, but they were worried they would think of them as weapons. But it turned out the test worked out. It wasn't weapons anyways. And everything's cool. That was torpedoed. Like, okay. Then he was, he effectively sold a script that, well, actually, this is like two steps before he sold the script, but he, he pitched the script idea, and Roddenberry's like, oh, 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 we've got this animated series thing, right? So why don't we go ahead and, and we'll work this out, right? And we'll go kind of workshop back and forth. And this is now th the third writer I've heard of in the animated series specifically who's complained about Roddenberry personally and the methods by which he was doing the rewrites, not just the rewrites themselves, which you know, obviously they don't like that, they, their work was rewritten, but the method by which he was rewriting, the changes in how he would just do this massive back and forth thing that would make everything take way too long. And, well, it's one of those situations where the person doing the changes clearly doesn't have an idea of what he's doing the changes for or why. Instead of saying, why don't we do these 15 changes, he would say, change this, and then send it back. And then the one thing would get changed, it would get sent in, he would like, Change this, and it'll get sent back. Now, if this sounds familiar, and I am making a point here, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which ran massively over budget for many reasons, but not the least of which being that the directorial and creative style that Roddenberry was using at the time was so bad that it was causing exactly this issue. Change this one thing. Do this thing differently. Put this over here. Can now rerun it. And it was wasting time, and it was wasting budget. Here he could get away with it, because the only person's time he was wasting was really the writer's, and it, it doesn't really change the budget, because they're, they're still going to buy the script for the same price, no matter how many rewrites were put in, right? Then Roddenberry insisted on godlike aliens. To my knowledge, this is the first concrete evidence I've ever seen that it's Roddenberry specifically who had a thing for godlike aliens. Now, we could presume this, given how many times they show up in TOS, and TAS, and early TNG, but this is probably the first time someone has specifically said that it was Roddenberry's idea, and it was something he was pushing for, and Gerald was now stuck with the fact that there had to be a godlike alien in his work. No offense to Nichelle Nichols, she actually does a pretty good job with it, and as usual, she's the best actress in the show, but the fact of the matter is, we have a godlike alien now. Great, great. So, okay. Do we have the work? I want to share one other quote. I wrote this down word for word here. During the second rewrite, uh, Roddenberry specifically wrote back, and this is also some feedback from some executive that said, the script lacked, and I quote, jeopardy, suspense, and action. And why is that relevant? 
Threat of the Week. I never really expected when I sat down to ruminate on the TAS series that the animated series series. When I sat down to ruminate on TAS, that I would be talking about the Threat of the Week so often. I think this is the third or fourth time it's come up, and this is not a long show. But this attitude, this prevailing concept, is something that is exactly why I rail against the concept of the Threat of the Week. It's not the trope itself that's bad. It's not the idea of an independent episode that's bad. It's the fact that the the idea behind it, the executive mandate behind it, is that there has to be jeopardy, suspense, and action. Otherwise, it's not worth the, the hour of television or the 20 minutes of television. And you have to have that because that was what was expected of the time. I've actually talked about this in the TOS stuff. TV at the time was considered by executives to be and a hero and a villain and yeah, there's a fist fight, right? And it took... Arguably, we're still getting out of that mentality to this day, but we are finally now, I can definitively say, at a point in which that's no longer considered to be true. We can have whole episodes of a work, even a work that includes action elements, that's just more on the download, more character-focused, more story-focused, more emphasis-focused, in manners that I've described many times before. This prevailing attitude has taken us decades to work out of. And when I say us, I mean them. I'm pretty sure we've been on board with this this whole time. It's just the people in charge who have been trying to very slowly get caught up on this. <sighs> Rant off. So, godlike alien. And only four cast members this time around. Although, that's probably because they had to spend most of the money on the animation side of things. And then Ben is a dick. Excuse me, Bem. On the off chance you don't know who what Bem means, it stands for Bug-Eyed Monster. It was actually a semi-common slang term back in the 50s and 60s, which was relatively normal. I mention that because the last time I heard this even mentioned was back in the 80s when I was a child, and I haven't heard it used since then. I had to actually refresh myself because I'm like, oh, I know that stands for something. Anyways, <clears throat> ambassadors. Why is it always ambassadors in Trek that are dicks? Why is that a thing? That's even true in STO. I commented on it during the STO lore run. It's like, what the heck is... So Kirk has this whole speech where he says, you know, we I can't possibly let you go on this mission. It's very dangerous. You know, you are a valued and important member, and if you were to go down there on this dangerous mission, something bad might happen to you. And he's giving this whole mission, he's giving this whole speech on a mission he is going down on. The captain. I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but it did get a grin out of me. So they beam down into the water so he can pickpot them, pocket them. It's obvious now he's trying to sabotage them. This prompts the question, why? Given that he's an observer, and as given his statements later, it's pretty clear that he's just trying to um, make the situation worse for them so they can prove their worth and prove how decent they are. He naturally does it in the most dickish way possible. But one of the things I find most amusing is twofold. Number one, we now know you can beam into thin air, something that, to my knowledge, has never been shown to this point in time, and is a terrifying thought. But that's okay. The transporter is a terrifying weapon as I've pointed out many times before. Second of all, they're all like, from now on, we're going to make sure that Scotty checks the things anytime someone beams down. Kirk is obviously forgetting that that is exactly what happened. Bem said, I've already set the coordinates, and Scotty said, yeah, they look good to me. So thanks for that, Scotty. Appreciate it. So, they are down there, and they're sabotaged, and they get captured. Okay. This leads to Bem being a dick. If you wish to uh, demean yourself with violence, feel free. And he gives them their weapons back, and they find out he's a colony creature. 
And I just realized Bem is actually a, a typical Star Trek writer, especially in TNG era, because all he's doing is trying to remove the tools from the crew so that they can be challenged by the threat of the week. I remind you that the threat of the week are a bunch of people with spears and sticks and stones and a godlike alien, because we kind of have a godlike alien. Whatever. This is also when a little bit of additional Trek history happens. We find out that Kirk's middle name is Tiberius. There's actually a lot of misinformation and conflicting information, even from the same sources, about where this name came from. But this is the first actual on-screen iteration of James Tiberius Kirk, something that would actually not be codified until many, many years later in Star Trek VI. Still, kind of neat little tidbit there. So it's sabotaged, and, um, he, and and Bem is a dick. It's very important. And then Kirk successfully talks his way out of the situation. It's like, hey, we just need to leave. Uhura, can we please go? And Uhura's like, yes, of course. Leave immediately. He's like, sure. Oh, wait, Bem's still here. <sighs> okay, we need to go find Bem. Let's go find Bem. And <laughs> this then leads to a wonderful sequence where he's like, all right, here's your weapons. We need to not affect the locals. We need to not hurt the locals. Okay. So lowest stun setting and only fire if you absolutely have to. Five seconds later, they start firing on the locals. <laughs> it's, it's immediate. It's hysterical. And then they find Bem, who is right there, five feet away, apparently. I was hard. And Bem's like, well, this one has erred. This one has failed. This one must commit suicide. And that naturally leads to him insisting on doing what is effectively committing suicide over this. And to which Uhura Godlike has to show up and Godlike Uhura be like, um, no, smack, you're stupid. So then they go back and everything's over the end. One last thought before I go. I got thinking about the Bem thing. Because what he's, he specifically says is he's not going to kill himself. He's going to disunify, and each of his different parts are going to become their own entities. Now, that does mean killing the unique entity of the individual, the, the group, right? So, Bem, as existed, would cease existing. It is still suicide. But the pieces of Bem would keep going on as separate and disparate entities. And that got me thinking about the species ramifications of that. What if this is normal? Remember, he he threatens to commit suicide over a relatively minor mistake, one that is relatively easily fixed, I might add. It's funny, it's almost like there's no suspense, action, or jeopardy in this episode. What if their whole species is like that? What if the majority of the species is the disparate parts, and they only unify relatively uncommonly, and the unified creatures only keep going until they make a mistake, until they screw up, and then it's like, well, that's just proof that this this particular unification of minds doesn't work, so split back up into the different parts, and then maybe in the future come back together into a different person. That kind of Lego species actually sounds weirdly fascinating. Horrifying, but weirdly fascinating to consider. And I feel like there's actual potential behind that, which naturally is why we've never heard of these people before and we'll never hear of them again. Well, it's track. That... <laughs> so it would be interesting to come up with a list of the number of races that are only show up once ever. It's probably a really big list. Anyways, I do hope you all have enjoyed. And... I was going to make a joke here about being a dick, but honestly, I couldn't think of anything that really worked. 
If you wish to demean yourself by hitting the like button, don't subscribe, though. Don't do that. It's not cool. I'll see you.